Death could not hold you, the veil tore before you, you silenced the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, for you are raised to life again. You have no Thank you. 
couple of weeks ago. Uh, we've been going through the book of Acts, and, and the way that it works is you just take a story that happens in the book of Acts, and you kind of look at it from the standpoint of the Holy Spirit. What is the Holy Spirit doing? What is he asking the people in the story to do? Uh, and we've learned about the first church. We've learned about the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost and moving people to speak in tongues and then to perform miracles and do all these amazing things. And you have Peter, uh, one of the disciples. He was just uh, kind of scared and intimidated even by a Roman servant girl. And he denied Christ and he had this horrible experience. And then the Spirit comes at Pentecost and he's this bold, amazing preacher. And as he preaches, thousands of people accept Christ. And he learned about uh, Peter and John going into the temple and performing miracles and getting in big trouble with the Jewish church. And then he learned about the persecution that followed that. The interesting thing, and we pointed this out for a couple of weeks, is that the first church in Acts prayed for boldness when they heard about the persecution that was coming. And that was a challenge to us as Grace Chapel. Are we willing to pray for boldness? Are we willing to pray for the things that might make things difficult for us in the future? Uh, but that's what the Spirit wants. He wants us to be bold uh, as we join in this mission. Last week we talked about the fact that God is up to us. He's moving. He has a plan. And we get uh, invited in to participate in it. So many times we get tunnel vision, you know, and you think the only thing that's going on is between me and God in my heart, and that's it, and He's telling me to do this, and that's great. And then you come across evidence that God is doing something else, somewhere else. And we heard this in the story of Abram, um, and Melchizedek, the priest that Abram met, and he was like, wait, you know God? I know God. How do you know God? And we find out that sure enough, God is doing so many things all over the place. And we come across that. So the, the question last week was, do you or who, are you willing to join the Spirit in the work that the Father has called us to do? It's challenging, it's exciting, it's, it's sometimes scary. But that's what is before us when we think of the Spirit, when we think of what the Spirit wants us to do. And this morning will be no different. I have an amazing story that I want to share with you. The first time I go to the sit on to our knees uh, to be paid to God. Would you buy your head? Lord Jesus, Father and Holy Spirit, thank you so much for, for the characteristics that you have, that you have invited us into. Lord, you uh, have shown us time and again in Scripture and in real life examples what intimacy with you looks like. And God, as our mission statement or our vision statement of Grace Temple, you want to be the lives that are transformed by your gospel. We don't just want our lives transformed, but we want all lives transformed by your gospel. And God, I ask that you would fall afresh on us now, Spirit, that you would move in our hearts, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear your word as we open it, as we pour over it, as we get inspired by it. And Lord, we love you. And we, we are so excited about the movement of you, Holy Spirit, in our body, in our congregation. This story of the church in Acts is so amazing. Every time I read through Acts, there's new things and new uh, aspects of each story that come to mind. There's so many things we can learn and we can grow from. A lot of people say, well, you know, the Spirit just doesn't move like He did in Acts. And I don't know if that's true or not. But I can tell you, this group of people, especially that small group of people that started in the upper room with the apostles, they were dedicated. 
they learned what they needed to learn. They were disciplined in what they needed to be disciplined in. And then the Spirit was moved, and they would be used by the Spirit. And these stories are so inspiring. I want faith like Peter. I want faith like John. I want to be able to hear the Spirit in the world. So the question that I have this morning that I'll start off with is, do you recognize the Spirit in your heart? Do you know what he sounds like? Can you recognize him? So many times I, I go, wow, he seems like the Spirit to me to do something. And then I think about it and I go, my voice kind of sounded like Jesus. And then I realize, no, I'm just telling myself and I'm getting all excited about it. Isn't it interesting how we do that sometimes? God, God acts like us. God thinks like us. God goes like us, right? Isn't that strange? How we, how we actually try to put God in a box and we say, this is what God is like. I've got them all figured out. I've got my theology. I know my scripture. I've been going to church. Everything is good. And I've got them in this little box. So the stories of Acts are the stories of God bursting out of the box that people had to be. The Spirit moving in mighty ways that surprised people. It was unexpected. Everybody thought they could predict how God was moving. And then something wild happened. And story after story of the unpredictable or the seemingly unpredictable nature of the Spirit. And that's why it's so neat to be able to take thinking about the Spirit and then take the book of Acts and put them together. And so the story that I want to read to you uh, today is in Acts chapter 10. And it's the whole chapter, and we're going to kind of bounce around in it. But it's such an interesting story. So from the standpoint of the Holy Spirit, and maybe with the question still ringing in here, can you hear, do you know what the Spirit sounds like? Think about those things when I read these words. Chapter 10, verse 1, it starts off like this. In Caesarea, there was a Roman army officer named Cornelius. He was captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. See, Cornelius is a God-fearing man. The scripture stops there. He's not of Jewish descent. We know this is because he's in the Italian regiment and he's um, a Roman army officer. He doesn't worship in the temple. He's not seen as someone who practices Jewish religious tradition. Yet he is God fearing. And the scripture, I think Luke makes this point really crystal clear if you'll, if you'll think about it. He is not Jewish. He is not of Hebrew descent. But he has this desire to know and to serve God. And since he's God fearing, he respects God and he prays to God and he has this kind of relationship with, with God. And this is what happened in verse 3. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming to him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? <laughs> he asked the angel, what, what else can you say to an angel? Right? Sir, I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm seeing. I don't know if this is real. All I know is that I love God and I'm trying to serve him. And that's it. I don't even know what his name is. But I see this vision in front of me and I'm terrified. Replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. 
didn't know that was a thing, but but Gary <laughs> has no knowledge of what his angels are talking about. Verse 5, Now send some men to Joppa, and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, which is confusing to see Simon, who lives near the sea. So that's what he does. So he really takes off off his knees, he brushes off his robe, he goes, that was the greatest experience I've ever heard, and he goes about his business. No, that's not what he does. He does what the angel says. When you have a vision and you see an angel and you are terrified and the angel asks you to do something, it's your prayer. And that's what he did. He summons some of his best men, sends them to Joppa to find Peter. Okay, this is Acts 2 of the story. Verse 9, the next day, as Cornelius messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on a flat roof to pray. It was about noon. And he was hungry, but while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trap. He saw the sky open, and something like a large piece was let down by his forefather. In this piece, he also became a reptile and bird. And a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill Peter. And if you don't know the context of Peter, or maybe even the Jewish culture, they do not have a very, very specific dietary description. You shouldn't eat this. You should eat that. You can't eat selfish. You can't eat uh, pork, bacon, things like that. Basically, you can't eat pork. Peter had never tasted bacon. He never tasted pork. He had never had a fowl like a pheasant or something like that. So, so when this vision happens to him, it's counter to what he's expecting. He falls into a trap and he expects God to speak. He says, Okay, God, what is it? And God looks down this feast of animals that were depicted to the Jewish worshippers. And he says, Tell him Jesus. This is what Jesus says in verse 14. No, Lord, Peter declares, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish law has declared impure and unclean. What are you doing, God? I you told me not to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm devout. I'm disciplined. I worked so hard to keep these laws. The laws around worship, the laws around what we do. They even had laws about whose houses you could and could not go into. But the point spoke again, verse 16. Do not call something unclean that God has made a sin. You can imagine Peter was very perplexed. What did this mean? Did this mean that God is now making food clean that, that we have known it to be unclean for centuries? What does this mean? He's perplexed, he's wrestling, he's struggling to understand the meaning of what he just saw. What could the vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was standing there. I thought that this was like better than the green doorbell. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them about this Don't worry. 
the, the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, interacting with Cornelius. We see the Holy Spirit interacting with Peter. And there seems to be a meeting that is to take place. The Spirit is doing this, and both men are open and God hearing and wondering. They have this posture of, of curiosity. God, is this you? Is this what you want? God, this can't be you. You've told us not to eat and drink, and how about you tell you that you can take it out in the street? So, Cornelius is at his house, waiting for the day to bring back to Peter. He has no idea who Peter is, what Peter says, or even if Peter has anything to say. All he knows is he's had this vision. He's supposed to get this guy Peter to his house. Can you imagine what Cornelius is doing when he's praying during this time that he's waiting? He's getting ready. And then do their job, they're going to go get this guy, they're going to bring him over. Yeah, but what do you think he gets here? What, what, what can I have? What do they say? Who is he? He could probably tell just by the sound of his name that he was Jewish, but he probably really didn't know. He shows up with the men from Dabar, here, and some, um, some other followers of Christ show up at Cornelius' house. And Cornelius does this crazy thing. He does the only thing that his Greek brain tells him to do when you're in the presence of something supernatural. He falls to his knees and begins to worship. He starts worshiping Peter. And Peter goes, whoa, 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 and pulls him up and says, look, look, I'm a man just like you. You don't need, you don't need to do that. That's, that's not, in fact, you shouldn't do that. And he's like, I'm sorry, I, I was too. For some reason, it happened to me. I, I'm, I'm curious, who are you and do you have something to say? The wheels start turning in Peter's mind and twist. Verse 34, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. For a good Jewish worshiper to say those words is almost like heresy. Yes, according to the Jews, God does show favoritism. He shows you Israel above all nations. He has shown favoritism. And you are welcome to worship Yahweh, but you have to convert to Judaism to do so. Everybody to this point, this apostle and the new church have ministered to, have been of Jewish descent. And you might go, well, God talks to the Papa Philip Evangelist. He was talking to the treasurer of Ethiopia. Yes, but the treasurer of Ethiopia was a convert to Judaism. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah. So everybody understands so far to play by the Jewish religious rules. And if you need Jesus, then you're saved. So everything is moving along as planned. But the Spirit says something to Peter that makes him perplexed. The Spirit says something to Cornelius that makes him unsure. I, I, don't, I don't know. This is uncharted territory. What do we do now? Jesus, I don't know. This is, this is new for me. I, 
Peter is standing at the doorway, knowing what that doorway represents in Jewish tradition. If he does this, he's sick, according to the Jewish tradition. You cannot enter the house of a Gentile. They eat unclean food in there. They speak in unclean ways. They act in unclean ways. If you go into that house, according to Jewish law, you will have to go to the temple or the synagogue and perform sacrifices to be cleansed. And this is crazy. This is like so exclusive, right? That's the way our minds work. But to agree, this is what God has commanded. And He commanded it centuries ago. This is the way their, their fathers lived, their grandfathers lived, their great, 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 great grandfathers lived. So Peter is standing at the threshold of this door going, if I do this, things are going to change. Peter is the leader of the church in the Bethlehem. Do you recognize his voice? 
There was nothing to guide him. He didn't have the detection. No letters had to be written. The words that John, another disciple, recorded in John 3 16, for God so loved the Jewish people. True, he loves the Jewish people, but no, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Those words have not been used yet. Peter's going, I, this is uncharted territory, I don't know what to do. Hey, person, what about the law? It's the business. 
This does also disservice because we have so many guides. We have scripture, and believe it or not, scripture can be a disservice if you don't understand that the scriptures were inspired by the Holy Spirit. To make sense to understand the scriptures, you need to be inspired by the Holy Spirit. I know so many people who do not claim Christianity read this and they go, no one this. It's foolish. How can you say that that's something to live by? And Wrong, they're not kidding. It's just an option. 
praying the other day and I felt the Spirit. I'm pretty sure it was the Spirit. Still learning on how to recognize the Spirit. The Spirit said, you know, you spend way too much time on YouTube. And I go, ah, but I know you're thinking, Spirit. I don't look at anything bad on YouTube. I watch farmers whole plows in the field. That's my favorite thing. And the Spirit goes, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm with you. I know that's what you're watching, and it's not bad. But don't you think it's kind of a distraction? And I think we have distracted ourselves so much that sometimes we lose our recognition of the Spirit. Think about when your spouse calls you on a number that you don't recognize, right? Making a big decision, or, or maybe when we say that thing that we're supposed to, that we should have said, and we go, oh, we should have said that. Maybe that's not the spirit. You're the only one that can talk. So, my new prayer is, Holy Spirit, I want to talk to you. I don't want to just stop at what you sound like. I want to know what you look like. I want to know what you